Hey everyone, before we begin, a quick word about Weather Claws. Weather Claws is the smartest traction system for your car this winter, which is fast approaching. It installs quickly and easily without moving a vehicle or removing tires, so you don't have to be the world's strongest man doing a car lift, you don't have to figure out how jacks work, and you don't have to wait for roadside assistance. Weather Claws has a jack-free installation in three minutes or less. Much like me when I'm on deadline, Weather Claws are self-tensioning, although in their case that means that they conform and grip to the tire profile, grasping both the terrain for full traction and the tire itself. Weather Claws are also self-cleaning, so unlike chains or mud and snow tires, Weather Claws will not clog and lose traction. They're also road and vehicle friendly, and they offer maximum traction on snow, snow-packed ice, loose dirt, mud, and sand, which covers most of the potentially slippery surfaces. Better yet, Weather Claws are easy to get. Just go to weatherclaws.com and get 20% off using the promo code MLBSHOW. That's weatherclaws.com, promo code MLBSHOW. Prep for winter like a pro with Weather Claws. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh and I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com, joined as always by my fellow staff writer for The Ringer, Michael Bauman. Hello, sir. Hello. So we are recording this very, very uncomfortably early in the morning. After Game 2, you are uh, about to embark on your flight to Chicago. I can testify from personal experience that the first couple games of this series have not been the best from a writing recaps perspective and maybe are not the best from a podcasting perspective either in that there just hasn't been a a whole lot of late-inning controversy or suspense. They've been pretty long games that were decided by events early on, but for the typical spectator who doesn't have to worry about doing a podcast about it, there's a lot to like about this series so far, namely that there have been a lot of good players doing the things that make them good. Yeah, it's a side effect of the winning team in each case starting a recent Cy Young winner and jumping <laughs> out to a lead and then handing it over to the outstanding ex-Yankee reliever who <laughs> they bought at the trade deadline for an outrageous price. Exactly. Yeah, I, I thought the first one was interesting, but a lot of the reasons for that were because of ways it might have set up the Indians' bullpen usage in Game 2. Right. And... Yeah, I just spent the last three days of game two just feeling bad for you that you had to find a unique (laughs) angle to write about this. It was long. Both games were were pretty long. Pedro Baez is nowhere near the World Series, and still we are having four-hour games here. It's partially that pitchers just slow down in the postseason. Hitters slow down in the postseason, too. Every pitch is important. slow down in the postseason, That, too. That doesn't help either. And, of course, managers are more inclined to make pitching changes. Everything is more important, and so people take longer to do it, and that's understandable if they can get away with it. So... We've seen long games. And that's that's not in and of itself a bad thing, just, you know, to be clear. I mean, the two of the longest innings of the past couple of years were the, the seventh inning of uh, that <laughs> right. Rangers game. And then that I think it was also the seventh inning of game yes. five of, of Dodgers Nationals. And, you know, they had uh-huh. pitching changes and mound visits and delays like you couldn't believe. But, yeah, it's not like a time thing. It's just there's no action. And when one team jumps out to a lead and just sort of defends it without significant drama for, you know, for the last six innings of the game, then it just feels like it drags a little. Yeah, which is kind of an occupational hazard of a series between these two teams because these were the two best teams at not relinquishing leads (laughs) during the regular season and certainly during the second half when 
they both upgraded their bullpens and turned into teams that are really good when they get ahead early. I I wrote that article about the Indians heading into the series that they are much better than the typical team when they are ahead and only a little bit better than the typical team when they are behind. And the Cubs are just better than everyone always, but the same principle applies. If you get behind the Cubs, you are in trouble. If you get behind the Indians, you are in trouble. And so That saps some of the suspense, which certainly doesn't mean that we couldn't see a comeback at some point in this series. But for the first two games, both teams have followed their game plans, good pitchers and uh, enough runs to back up the good pitchers. Yeah, and that's really the it's not that there need to be comebacks. It just feels like there needs to be the possibility of a comeback. And there Uh are times when it it felt like that, you know, like game seven of the World Series in 2014. It just never felt like the, the Royals were coming back against Bumgarner and You know, it sort of feels like that fairly frequently Mm -hmm. with these two teams without the added excitement of this being Game 7. Yeah. But on the other hand, Kyle Schwarber. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm I'm right now in the early stages of what could become an argument with my editor, Ryan O'Hanlon, about whether or not I should write about Schwarber, uh, Uh because obviously he's a... Probably the big story, apart from you being extremely right about the Indians being two different teams, whether they're winning or losing. But the hype is just, I worry about the hype. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it could get out of hand. On the other hand, it's a very cool story for all the reasons that people are saying it's a cool story. It's been really fun to watch. They should find some way to inoculate every hitter who misses time with some essence of Schwarber. I'd forgotten, like, I mean, this is his... His biggest skill is his batting eye and his approach, but yeah. like not seeing it for five months, I had just sort of lost that appreciation. I, and I, when I thought that he was going to go for the series, like I wondered if it was going to take him a few days to to get back into yeah into sure. rhythm. By which point the series would have been over, but that is absolutely not the case. <laughs> Yeah, well, that would have been the prudent assumption, I would think, at least for for those of us on the outside. Maybe the Cubs know better, but I certainly wouldn't have been surprised if he had looked a little bit overmatched, just jumping back in against Corey Kluber and Mm -hmm. Andrew Miller and Cody Allen in his first real game action in many months. If you had asked me before the series, I probably would have said that the Cubs were getting too cute or trying too hard by activating Schwarber. Or they were seduced by the story and weren't being objective about his actual chances in the series. But no, he's been very good. He looks like his old self. And now, of course, the question is whether he will be in the lineup in the National League games. Three, four, and five in Wrigley. By the time this gets out there, there might be new news on maybe uh, on that front. But I just that feels hubristic to me putting <laughs> Schwarber in an outfield corner, particularly like the way he's running now and and as as bad as he was. I know you wrote in the dying days of Grantland last year a lengthy story about Kyle Schwarber tripping over his own feet in the outfield. Right. And, yeah, yeah, and you know it's it's been a rough uh, rough series for Lonnie Chisenhall. Imagine yes. what it's going to be like for Schwarber. I just I doubt it. Yeah, on the other hand, it's pretty tempting to put him in there against a right-handed starter like Tomlin instead of either your right-handed options like Soler or Almora or Jason Hayward. 
So I can understand if he does get medical clearance, why you would want to at least try it. On the other hand, if you don't, I think there will probably be a high leverage pinch hitting appearance opportunity at some point in the games. And a pinch hitting opportunity late in the game where you could pinch hit him and then run without more or something like that. Or we could see Schwarber playing left in game five and the Indians could be like, well, if you you bunt it to Lester, then you're going to get on base. And if you bloop it over the shortstop, then you're going to get on base too. Yeah. Well, it's the sort of thing where, you know, Schwarber obviously is is not a great outfielder when he's at 100%, but he's He's playable. awful. He's I don't I think he's playable. I mean, he he was awful when it really counted at the very end of last season and so that left us with the mental image of him being bad out there, but over the course of the season or the percentage of the season that he was in the majors, his stats at least weren't horrendous and right I wrote that article about how Schorber just didn't yeah. seem like that great a fit for the National League, but the Cubs well, he's not. held on I, to him I, well, anyway. I, I think he'd be a great fit for a National League team that doesn't have a first baseman as good as Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, but right. That's the the unspoken. Well, not anymore unspoken. Whatever yeah. it is, I don't know. It's well before dawn here. <laughs> yeah. Well, to the extent that it comes down to the condition of his knee, I suppose we have to defer to the people who know about the condition of his knee. So it's hard to uh, pass judgment either way, I think. But I can see why you would be skeptical. But we would have been skeptical about his appearing at all in this series just a few days ago. So is there any other takeaway from these first couple games? I mean, you're right. It's come down to Kluber pitching like Kluber and Arietta pitching like good Arietta for the most part. He was, I don't know that he was locating that well. No, I don't night. think he was. It's, it was sort of interesting. They couldn't hit him anyway, but. Yeah, that was the big storyline coming into the game, whether he would be able to put his pitches where he wanted to. And I don't know that he actually did, but he got away with it for at least part of the game. Mm-hmm. So it's that, and then it's just good players playing well. It's Schwarber, it's Rizzo, it's Lindor. These guys have just done their thing, and so the series is tied, oh, and yeah. Real quick, are you surprised that Hayward didn't start either of the first two games? Yeah, I was surprised. I think when we talked about it at the end of the last episode, both of us expected him to at least make more plate appearances than Kyle Schwarber. So yeah, surprised, but don't disapprove. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's really a, an answer, or I don't know if there's a course of action that they could have taken that I would have said, like, this is the wrong thing. Well, I don't know, starting Chris Coglin in game one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sort of tests that. Uh-huh. Well, we've been watching the games, and we've been seeing what everyone else is seeing, and it's not really that small a sample with Hayward at this point struggling, and yeah. Obviously, the Cubs know his mental state better than we do. Speaking of which, we are about to talk to two people from the Cubs. (laughs) Whose job it is to concern themselves with the Cubs' mental state. You know, of course, about all the trades and draft picks and free agent signings that turned the Cubs into the best team in baseball this year. But there's a behind-the-scenes program that's played some part in getting all of that talent to play to its potential. In the spring of 2015, the Cubs officially started their mental skills program, and they went from being a 73-win team to a 97-win team. So if 
correlation equals causation, then our two guests are worth about 12 wins apiece. They are Josh Lifrak, who is the director of the Cubs Mental Skills Program. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? All right. And Darnell McDonald, who is the Cubs Mental Skills Coordinator. Hello, Darnell. How you doing, man? You, uh, you're going to be my agent. so i i am exaggerating slightly there but i am curious you know darnell you played for the cubs in 2013 and they were a last place team at the time did you guys have to do anything differently in starting this program because it was the cubs and not some other team that had won a title at some point in the last century or so or is it all the same to players really does a player not really worry about the fact that the franchise hasn't won for a long time before he even got there i really think it was just i know you know from my career my experience and being a first uh, first round draft pick and you know going through the ups and downs of baseball and life and you know getting towards the end of my career and starting to understand more how important the mental side of the game is and how you know really when you start getting to the professional level that's the separator of everyone's good and everyone's been was that guy on their team now the mental side is uh the separator and so also having a fun office you know also understanding how important the side of the game is it really started with them i mean you know because if it wasn't for them really being dedicated to starting this program who knows who knows where we'd be so a combination of that and having Joe Madden come, and it seemed like everything just kind of started to come together, you know, all at the same time. It was like perfect timing. Everything uh, started just organically. I didn't know that I would be doing this. When I finished baseball, you know, I didn't know that this is what I would be doing. And so, you know, it's been a great journey so far and being able to work and then learn from, you know, all the people that we have here uh, a part of the mental skills program. So how did how did this come together? You said it sort of happened organically, but were you looking for something to do after uh, your playing career was over? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did uh, all this happen? I think it was the spring of uh, 2013. You know, they informed me that I wasn't going to make the team. And at that point, I knew that I was I was mentally done as far as like the grind of the minor leagues and the instability. And so. You know, with that being said, you know, you're not going to make the team, but we still like you to be a part of the organization. And so I, you know, I was on board with that. And the first year I started just doing a little bit of everything and just getting exposed to everything and kind of figuring out what it was that, um, you know, I wanted to do. And that second year is when I think we decided, you know, we were talking about developing mental skills program and our director, Josh Leifrag, he came, he came aboard. And from there, you know, it's just it continues to grow, you know, each year. And Josh, what was your mandate when you were hired? What did Theo or, or whoever you spoke to say that they wanted you to accomplish? Uh, they want everybody in our organization to be able to understand and apply uh, mental skills training. Really, I mean, it, it's just as, as simple as that. You know, they asked me um, when they interviewed me, how would you go about? Um, getting this out to 300 people and making sure that they're doing it. So that was my directive. And uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. And so how do you define mental skills training or how has that manifested itself for the Cubs? <laughs> yeah. You know, for us, it, it really boils down to, you know, outcomes and processes. So the outcome of mental skills training is being present in the moment and just being where your feet are. 
really, right? And, and the process of that is a number of different tools and techniques, anything from visualization to meditation to setting goals and having a plan to setting your intentions to, you know, just to, to reviewing and, 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 and going over whatever you were set to do that day. So that, th- those are really, you know, there's two different components of that. The one is the outcome, which is being present, being focused in the moment, winning this pitch, going pitch by pitch. And then, of course, the, the process is all the tools and techniques to, to keep your mind there and keep your feet on the ground. What's the, the division of labor like? So, you know, Josh, what do you do? Darnell, what do you do to implement this? Um, yeah, so so my role is, uh, of the director as a director is a little bit of a, a, a vision and then, you know, getting out there and helping uh, the guys really apply it. We are lucky enough to have stumbled into to Dr. Ken Revisa, who I don't know if you guys know much about Ken, but uh, heads up baseball and has been doing this really probably one of the four, first guys, him and Harvey Dorfman, but really the first two guys in Major League Baseball. Um, and he and Joe Madden have been friends for 25, 30 years. So once we hired Joe, we knew we were going to be able to get Ken on board as well. So what that allows us to do is that allows us to have somebody who can really just take care of the Major League team and have a singular focus. He's very in line philosophically with, with what we do uh, on a daily basis. And so for us, it, it makes it really it really helps us out because that allows us to get the guys who are about to come up into the major leagues or are new to the organization or are doing the grind in minor leagues. It really allows us to help them implement their mental skills training without really having to significantly get pulled into the major league vortex. That's what I call it because once you start working with the major leagues, you're there for, you know, you got to be there for two, three weeks at a pop. It's just the way the nature of the beast is. So, you know, Darnell can talk to that because he's been up and down with the, with the major league team this year um, several times as well. And, you know, you end up staying, you end up saying, okay, I'm going to be here for four days. You end up being there for two weeks. And so with Ken there, it helps out a lot. Um, and then, you know, Darnell, you know, you, you want to, you can just kind of talk about your role and how you've really brought mindfulness to, to us as well. Yeah. So, you know, we started by obviously during the season, you know, going to, you know, spending a series with uh, each of our, our minor league affiliates. And, you know, during those visits is just showing, you know, giving the players different resources and understanding that being present, you know, you, our coaches, as, you know, as a player, your coach is always telling you, you know, you know, obviously we want you to play the game pitch to pitch. You got to focus, you got to concentrate. So, okay, how do we do that? So one of the best ways to practice that and understand that the mental the mental game is a, a skill that you can develop just like all these other skills that we work on throughout our career. And one of the ways to practice that skill of being present is through seated meditation and yoga. So the more, the, you know, we take our players through, through guided meditations and uh, we practice yoga you know, also as well as just really understanding the growth mindset and, uh, you know, just understanding that failure is an opportunity to grow and get better. I think that's we all know how much failure that we deal with in baseball. So how we deal with that failure is uh, a big factor. So obviously most players in the Cubs organization are not at the major league level, are not on the World Series roster. But if we could kind of go behind the scenes with the major league team playing in the World Series this week, 
if we could, you know, look at the team meetings, if we could look at the way the players talk to each other, if we could even get inside their heads and see how they're thinking from pitch to pitch, you know, you guys have to tailor your programs differently maybe for 18-year-olds than you do for guys, you know, however old David Ross is. But what would we notice about the way that the Cubs at the major league level right now are approaching each of these games and dealing with these big moments? You know, it's interesting that you say that, that, uh, that David Ross would look at it differently than, you know, a 19, 20 year old. I, I, I kind of disagree because the tenets of what we're teaching doesn't, you know, it's just like, it's just like, you know, it's like the laws of gravity, right? You throw a rock in the air and it's going to land. Well, same kind of thing for the mental skill side of stuff. These are, you know, proven scientifically validated hypotheses and, and tools and techniques. So, we may talk to them in a different manner in terms of how we present it, but really the, the core techniques and tools are, are, are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, now they have to deal with the major league level. They have to deal with the analytics and, the, you know, the scouting and, and things of that nature, which is a lot different than say double A. Right. But at, at the core level of it all, it really does boil down to, Hey, win this pitch. And so behind the scenes at the major league level, that's what they're talking about. You hear Joe all the time. And, and that's one of the great things that really, really made this program, um, I think, successful more than anything, is that when you get a major league manager in a front office, like D-Mac mentioned, that is fully on board saying, hey, you know, the difference between our hitting coordinator and our mental skills coordinator is nothing. They are there to help you get better, and you can work on those aspects of the game. That is, that's incredible. You know, not a lot of organizations are that forward thinking that they understand that the mental skills can be trained. And so when you talk about the major league level and the pressure that's going on, you know, Joe has done an incredible job helping these guys prepare in terms of never let the pressure, you know, overwhelm the pleasure and, you know, doing simple better and and things of that nature. That's all mental skills type stuff. And so that's what they're thinking about. They're thinking about this pitch right here. They're thinking about winning this pitch. That's my assessment of it. I don't know. D-Mac, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, same thing. It's like, we all know the bottom line. It doesn't matter what we're doing. If we're playing baseball or we're reading a book or in a conversation, we're going to do it better when we're present uh, in the moment. And similar with Josh, I don't think it doesn't matter if it really if it was David Ross or my kids that's 11, 6, you know, I'm going to teach them the same way about being present. One of the best ways, the best way to be present is to be aware of your breath. And so the breath, your breath is the, the most present that you can be. So the more, the more that we can be aware of that breath and, um, you know, the more, obviously the more, the, the more present that we're going to be. And we, and we can pra- actually practice this. We can actually practice being in a zone because when you're in the zone, whenever you're playing your best, you're in this meditative state. So how do we, how do we, you know, how do we, and the, the good news is that we can practice being in the zone. And, you know, one of the best ways to do that is through the mindfulness meditation. And every time this, your program comes up in the media, there's always an aside about how... We're going to mention the media? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there's, but there's always an aside about um, how talking about your mental health or, or making this a priority might have been stigmatized a generation ago, but it's better now. But at the same time, how do you go about getting buy-in from from players and obviously it's probably different from someone who's just been drafted and oh this is the program here versus you know I don't know how you tell John Lackey what to do I would go and cry rather than uh 
tell John Lackey to, to go do something. Lack has been doing this kind of work ever since he came in with the Angels because that's where Kenny was. So that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of funny. Like, you, you think about that, and, and that's the thing that I always notice is you look at the best athletes in, in, in any sport, and they're working on their mental game. You know, it, it might be formalized. It might be through a coach. It might be through a mental skills practitioner. But the, the best of the best are always working on their mental side. And, you know, you go back to, to Phil Jackson and, you know, 11 rings. I mean, these guys are doing the same kind of stuff we're doing right now. And, you know, that's – you look at it. You see Kobe Bryant doing this kind of stuff. You see – you know, it doesn't matter. Just the, these guys, you know, the Golden State Warriors. The, so the guys that, you know, when you ask about, hey, how do you, how do you get buy-in? Well, again, right, is a guy, if a guy goes and, and wants to jump into the cage and, you know, take 7,000 swings, well, great. He's, he's willing to work. But – you know, as Yogi Berra said, you know, what is it? it was 90% of the game is 50% metal or something like that. I can't remember the exact quote, yeah. horrible quotes, but you know, it's, you know, it's that kind of a deal that the mental, mental game matters. It might not be huge amount, but it matters. And it, and, it, and it's a factor in terms of your success. And every player that, that I've met wants to be successful. And so if they're willing to work, there's things that we can do to help them out. And, that's that's pretty much how we've gone about doing it. The other thing that we we do is is we're humble. We try and meet them on uh, on their on their territory. Um, they are the experts in baseball. We will be the experts in the mind. Um, and so we let them be experts in their game. They, we're not going to talk to them about their swing. We don't know. I don't know about their swings. Like, God, you tell me if the guy's swing path is good or exit velocity. It's like you're speaking German to me. But if you talk about hey, being present, being focused, taking a breath slowing your heart rate down. Yeah, we, we can talk about that. We can help guys out. Do most of the benefits come from the preparation and, and kind of accrue to the players pregame? Or does this actually help in the game? If we could be in these players' heads that we're watching this week, would we hear them kind of, you know, repeating things that they have learned from you guys or, or thinking about exercises that they've gone through before a game to sort of settle them down during actual World Series action? I'll let D-Mac take that one. <laughs> I mean, the main thing, like, anytime you take a conscious breath, so, you know, you take a deep breath, that's that's a meditation. <laughs> and, you know, that means you're aware to take that breath, all right? So that's the main thing that I look at or see, and, you know, then guys know you know, begin to understand that the correlation of the breath, you know, when the game starts to speed up on us, the breath is probably shorter, shorter and choppier. And, you know, when we're able to calm our breath down, slow our breath down, we're able to slow our, our thoughts down. And so really the breath, I hope guys are, are setting an intention and maybe practicing visualization. I think really like Frack was saying, the best, like we're fortunate to have, we have a, some great players, I mean, amazing players. And so, like you said, we learn a lot from, from them. And so these, these, a lot of these, a lot of what these guys have been, they have a routine that they've been doing already for a long time. And so just really, you know, that's part of the awareness. You find out what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and you, you practice and get better at, at that and you do simple better. So doing simple better is doing what works for you. And are a lot of these lessons things that 
players will often kind of pick up on their own as they transition into the the veteran stage of their careers? Will they come to these realizations on their own? Or do you often encounter guys who are in their 30s but are still approaching the game the same way they did when they were teenagers or in their 20s? For me, my experience, you know, you, I mean, you hope that you, and you know, in order to play this game, a long time, you know, obviously that you got to make adjustments and it's a game of adjustments and the people, the players that are, you know, what we call the experts that's been playing this game a long time are, they've made adjustments. You know, we talk about just having routines. Routines are big. For me, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I, I didn't do any mental skills work as a, as a player. And so <laughs> that's why I'm so passionate about this now and understanding how important it is because I know, you know, it probably would have been made a a, a, a big difference. I know it would have made a big difference in my career because I think about all the games that I may have not really been present or on that pitch. The, the more present, you know, we go, you know, the difference between the minor leagues and the big leagues. Usually, a lot of big league players are able to make pitch to pitch adjustments. In minor leagues, maybe it's week to week, month to month. So the faster that we're able to, to, to make those adjustments and the more that we're able to be aware of just these little things, our body language, self-talk, you know, this is not going to guarantee us success, but it's going to, you're going to give yourself the best chance to execute whatever you're doing. And so that's what it, as Frack would say, man, we're just trying to buy as many lotto tickets as possible to <laughs> give ourselves the best chance to win. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna throw out there too. I mean, just to 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 put this in your in your thought process that you know change is inevitable and growth is optional. So you're gonna change as you as you get older as a player. And, and what I've found certainly at the you know higher levels of, of the minor leagues, the the older guys are the guys that tend to want to do more work because they understand how important the mind is. So I'll throw that out at you too. So once you start unpacking a player's mind, you know, this might be more, um, more Ken's, uh, purview than, than yours, but I keep going back to, you know, there are some, even if you're not doing therapy or anything like that, if you're just teaching meditation or, or honing, uh, mental skills, there might come a time where a player goes to you with, with personal problems or something of that nature. And, you know, I keep going back to when Greg Oden was going through, uh, a rough time in, in Portland, he was worried that his team psychiatrist was repeating stuff that he told, you know, said in therapy to the front office. And so like, are, do those ethical questions come up at all, you know, in, in the stuff that you guys do? And if so, how do you address them? Uh, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, there's been certainly some conversations I've had that people don't know about or know who I've had them with. Uh, and I'll just keep those close to the vest. I think that's where relationships and trust come in. If you are working with with the players and, and they feel like you've got their back, which we do. I mean, everything that we do is really player oriented because we just want the best for them. That's, that's kind of our really uh, one of our models is that, you know, we're here for them and, and we want them to succeed. We want I would love it if all 300 players in our minor league system were major leaguers and helped us win a World Series. I know that's not realistic, but that's what we are working to do. So they know that and they feel that. Certainly. And then, you know, the flip side of that is we also at every every affiliate, we have a contracted employee assistance program, that which are clinical psychologists or psychiatrists. So if there is heavier stuff, quote unquote, going on, um, we'll help them get the help that they need. Mm. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 
And you guys have created some kind of organization-wide ethos, you know, the, the that cub mm-hmm. saying or catchphrase has, has really caught on. So does everyone respond to that the same way? I mean, in other words, are there guys who really like that sort of, yes, we're part of a team and our team plays the game this way and this is how we go about our business and they really, really respond to that. And other guys maybe are, I don't know, less team spirit oriented, you know, maybe just as good teammates, just as hardworking, just as prepared, but sort of like to do their own thing and not make it such a collective enterprise. Is, is that true? And, and is that an obstacle or does that not matter? You know, I, I think in any endeavor in terms of culture, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to you know, coin the that's cub and then even give it an acronym of, of, you know, cub is courage, urgency, and belief, the courage to do the right thing, the urgency to do it right now and the belief that you're going to get it done. So, you know, those, those three pieces are, you know, have been there and they've come about organically, which is, which is awesome. But I think in any endeavor, you're going to have, you know, 20% of the guys who are just all in. They're right at the front of the pack and they're running forward. You're going to have 20% of the guys who are kind of out. And then you're going to uh-huh. have that middle pack. And and the middle pack is where you need to to make your money. That's that's where you need to go to get those guys believing and, and, and pulling in the same direction. And we've been lucky enough that, again, we've drafted a lot of character guys. So the, the players that we have, whether they be from international or, you know, amateur, those guys are they're all in. They they seem to be going all in really quickly. Uh, I don't think it hurts that, that, that we're winning. And it certainly doesn't hurt that our major league manager is, is completely and totally all in on this stuff and, and, and really buys into our culture as well. So I think, you know, you put those in, into perspective and then what we've also done is the guys that are kind of looking maybe in there in that back 20% that, that aren't all in, we'll get in there. We'll, we'll dig our heels in with them and we'll find out what's going on and we'll treat them as human beings first rather than players and as a result what you end up getting is a lot of those guys start coming back the other way as well so that that backside's a lot less all right and darnell you mentioned that often mental skills can be a separator so i wonder at what level you think that becomes the case because you know no matter how mindful i am i could not be a, a big league baseball player i don't have the talent but at what level is that the case i mean when you get into the professional ranks when you rise to a certain level in the minors when you get to the majors when when does that happen do you think Shoot, uh, only the strong survive <laughs> you know the you look at the minor leagues is you know that's like a weeding out process a lot of things can happen from when you get drafted especially from high school to you get the big leagues and same with college on the field and off the field yeah and so these things you know little just the discipline yourself like we had the respect 90 that joe madden came up with but these are things that don't don't you don't have to be a prospect or what like anyone can do these things you know these are this isn't we're just not throwing these things out there to the guys it's the stuff that's scientifically proven that that works and you look at the the playoffs the playoffs when you get to the playoffs both teams are good they're there for a reason the playoffs a lot of times it comes down to what execution and things that can execute and adverse situations. And we talk about responding versus reacting. And, um, you know, you think of uh, responding as that's awareness. You know, you're giving yourself a choice. You're taking the autopilot button off and uh, you're making a choice. You want to do this, you do that. So that's, uh, I mean, I'm not saying this is, this is 100% how you win the World Series. You know, obviously, 
it takes a lot of talent, and we're we're very fortunate to have so. Like I said, man, we're watching greatness, and the guys that we have that we get to watch every day, because these are these players are great players. And they're great because they want to get better. They make they want to make adjustments, and they want to get better every year, every year. And Josh, last one for you. You know, you're working with a team that is known for its quantitative abilities, obviously not to the exclusion of of other factors that can't be quantified as easily. And and maybe your program falls into that group. But do you try to make some effort to self-evaluate and say, you know, this is how much this is benefiting us. I mean, player development is sort of a, a notoriously tough thing to evaluate numerically, at least from the outside, just because it's so hard to know, would this guy have succeeded if we had done something different or this is why he didn't succeed? So is there any way for you to try to assess how well you're doing, essentially? Absolutely. I won't get into the specifics, but there, there's we absolutely um, pretty much assess everything that we do. And we look at it to see how how the players are responding to it. We look at it to see how the coaches are responding to it. We look at it to see what the front office thinks about it. Um, and then we internally also evaluate and, and, you know, we call it in the military, they call it plus delta, you know, what do we do well and what are we going to do better moving forward? And so we're constantly asking those questions of ourselves, whether it be just leaving an instructs program, whether it be halfway through the season, whether it be spring training, whether it be a strength camp, and anytime we're involved, um, you know, in a, you know, a defined program, uh, we're going to evaluate and we're going to find out. We do that through, you know, surveys. We do that through quantitative stuff and, and qualitative stuff. So, yeah, we go back to science and, and we try and figure out what we're doing well and what we could do, be doing better. All right. Well, I hope that both of you guys are remembering your own lessons and, uh, and I'm not some time to breathe <laughs> during this, <laughs> during this week. <laughs> um, I need, I need, I need right now, to fly to Florida and give me some meditation practice right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on a <laughs> so thank you guys for coming on and, and if people want to kind of eavesdrop on the Cubs mental skills conversation and they don't mind seeing a lot of that's Cub hashtags they can find Josh on Twitter at LiffRackAttack and they can find Darnell on Twitter at MacDime54 guys thanks for talking to us hey thanks very much guys really appreciate it just get us on with Bill Simmons that's the next task for you guys right? <laughs> we'll do that <laughs> okay if you win a World Series we'll see what we can do all right that'll do it for today although you know i couldn't help thinking i'm sure the indians prepare their players too even if they don't have a dedicated mental skills program but their game two starter trevor bauer attended an informal mental skills program that i like to call star wars the phantom menace i'm not supporting bauer's choice of the phantom menace as his favorite star wars movie i'm just saying that when obi-wan had a bad feeling about this qui-gon said don't center on your anxieties keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. Be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force. That was a lot of quotes from The Phantom Menace, so <laughs> one after the other. Yes. Um, well, I guess on results, you'd have to say that that Arietta was, insofar as his preparation gave him better stuff. You know, yeah. I, we talked about how he didn't have great command. He was throwing more strikes than Bauer was. So, <laughs> Well, as Qui-Gon also said, there's always a bigger fish. 
All right, so we will end it there. It has been good talking to you, as always. You too. I wish you safe travels and more fruitful recap material in the games to come. And not getting lost in Wrigley Field. That would yeah. be... I, I have a, a preternatural talent for getting lost in the bowels of Major League Baseball stadiums that I am just <laughs> terrified of for yeah. the, the next five days. Keep an eye out for roving mobs of celebrating Cubs fans if uh, events go that way yeah and uh we will be back with another episode of the ringer mlb show early next week 